Well, hi everybody. It is a privilege to be speaking to Grace City Church this Sunday. Last time I was with you in the flesh was, uh, I guess, nearly a year ago. Uh, I've joined you for a Zoom call or two this year and uh, always in touch with, with somebody, uh, always praying, always thinking about you as a church, feel very much a part of you from a distance, but sharing in your story um, and uh, going the journey with you, enjoying the privilege of seeing what God is doing as the church uh, moves forward, people come to know Jesus and people join you. It's It's been a privilege and there's a superb, brilliant future before you. It's my joy to be talking about the resurrection here in the middle of fall. Uh, we don't get to do Easter in the autumn, as we, we call it in uh, the UK, um, that often, but, but let's do it. Let's break into the autumn with an Easter Sunday. I know every Sunday is Easter Sunday for the church uh, in a sense, but to actually focus a whole message specifically on the resurrection, it's a, it's, it's a joy, a privilege. It's, it feels appropriate because the year can seem set up like one of those kind of unwinnable tennis matches. That's, that's how uh, life seems to be experienced uh, in this, this present age in which this, this life that we have where spring happens and declares life uh, on the cosmos kind of kind of gets moving gets motoring and life springs out across the planet and then comes the autumn uh, where it's like oh I, I it seems spring seems so confident <laughs> but, but uh, what goes up must come down and the fall the fall breaks in and death seems to be uh, the the order of the day as as uh, as foliage and and all the sort of wonderful things that the beauty of autumn is still is still and you, th you think about it kind of a, a, a sad prospect because it, it's representing the, the the loss of life the cutting off of life and it seems like these two forces are, are sort of stuck in in a deadlock for eternity you know just year after year no one wins spring autumn spring autumn spring autumn who's going to win it's like those yeah those tennis games where where it's like you just long for the tiebreaker because it's game, 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 game. And it can, I don't think you ever see one of those. We have them in, at Wimbledon where sometimes they go on for hours and hours and hours and hours. And, uh, and it's like advantage this one, advantage that one. And you just long for a winner. <laughs> Even if it's a good game, you know it can't go on forever and ever. And you know, our newspapers can have births, deaths, a birth column, a death column. I don't know if you have newspapers like that anymore, but... It's, it's like we, we, we live in this in-between stage, the, the springing out of life and then the, the corruption and the, the defiant kind of finality of death. Who wins? Who wins in the end? Well, Easter Sunday and the, the message of the resurrection, the message that we celebrate in the creed as you're going through it as a church uh, this, this season, it rings out with a defiant, confident final word that there is a winner. There is a victor. There's a triumphant, successful uh, hero who has conquered finally and forever. That's, that's, that's Easter, that's resurrection, nothing less than that. And so it's good for us to, to feed our minds on it, to, to celebrate it, to consider it today. That's what I want us to do. And to help us with that, we're gonna to go to one of Paul's letters. He, he wrote uh, a few times to the church in Corinth. The first letter we have finishes with a whole chapter about the resurrection. I'm going to read you the first uh, 11 verses of that and we'll refer to the chapter again uh, as we go through this message. But let me read to you first of all, this is what Paul says. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, 
unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. There have been various attempts uh, in history, especially in the last couple of hundred years, uh, by people trying to provide alternative explanations for the circumstances around the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, various sometimes ingenious and uh, uh, fascinating uh, alternative explanations. People have said, well, maybe Jesus didn't even die. Maybe he, 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 just, he just swooned, you know, he went unconscious on the cross and was awakened in the tomb. And uh, maybe, maybe the, the women that went to inspect the tomb, they went to the wrong tomb, they saw an empty tomb and they got carried away and excited. Maybe, maybe the disciples just sort of made it up. Maybe it was all completely, you know, sort of fabricated narrative that, that they, they constructed to sort of give certain credibility to their, their story, uh, to sort of keep the, keep the idea going. Various theories have been uh, propagated through recent generations. I think most of them um, hold very little water. They, don't, they, they have all kinds of problems. In fact, they all, I would say all of them, are significantly problematic and sometimes extremely amusing. But they all say something. They all teach us that people will try to wriggle out <laughs> of the resurrection. If anything, I quite respect people who try to persuade us that Jesus didn't rise from the dead and, and here's, here's why, here's what happened instead, here's, here's an explanation that works. Because at least there's an honesty, I suppose. What I find more baffling, I suppose, is when people say, yeah, no, I, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. But you can tell that it hasn't made any difference to their life at all. You can tell that, that, that actually, if they were to stop and consider the implications of the resurrection on their life, they might change their story. They might say, well, no, maybe Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Because it's, it's easy, I think, to have a sort of a nominal idea, a sort of a, a, a kind of a, just a trivialized, just acceptance of the idea. Yeah, Jesus is that guy. I think he rose from the dead, didn't he? Yeah, there's that, that, that belief. Yeah, I think that, let's, let's go along with that. It's, I think, way too easy to sort of assume that position without it being something in our hearts. And the Bible talks about believing in our hearts that Jesus rose from the dead. In, in Romans chapter 10, uh, do you believe in your heart that he rose? That's a big question. Because if you believe in your heart, if you really believe, then it changes everything. I, I recognize this in my own life. I'm sure many of you do as well. I, I think of my dad, actually. My dad was uh, raised himself in a, in a secular family. He, his parents weren't Christians and he wasn't raised to be a Christian in any you know, conscious way. 
When he was uh, in his late teens, his sister uh, came back from London uh, f just to be with the family and, and, and just, she, she arrived home one evening, said to my, my dad, I've become a Christian. And he said, what, what do you mean? You, you can't become a Christian. This was back in the days when uh, people in the UK thought they were Christians just because they were English. And so he thought, well, I thought we all were Christians. He said, no, 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 I've become a Christian. And uh, she explained, she, she, the way she explained it, he said, was she said, do you, do you know that Jesus rose from the dead, don't you? And he, he said the thing that, that people say, he said, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that, yeah, I know that. And then she said, but do you realize that that means that he's alive now? And she, he, he says that when she said that to him, he, he started to cry, he started to sob. He was overwhelmed. And he, he began to realize if he's alive, then everything he said about himself is true. If he's alive, he's in charge. If he's alive, I've got to face him one day. And all of the realities of the resurrection broke in upon him. And it was actually shocking, it was emotionally shocking to him. And he became a Christian that night and, and his life did change. Because the resurrection, if we take it to heart, if we understand the implications of it, it has to be life-changing. I want to talk uh, partly from these verses that I read to you about why that's so, and just write a few things about the resurrection that are life-changing for us. Let me just quickly list them. First of all, if Jesus rose, then he is Lord. Secondly, if Jesus rose, then he is wise. Thirdly, if Jesus rose, then he is ours. And then fourthly, if Jesus rose, then we are free. We are free. We can be free. Freedom is available. Let's talk about those in that order. First of all, if Jesus rose, then he is Lord. That's kind of in the, the statement Paul makes in verse 3. I delivered to you that as of first importance. I delivered to you what I received that was of first importance, that Christ died, was buried and was raised. He said, this is the most important stuff that anyone has ever told anyone. This is the most important message that I could have shared, that anyone could share with you. It is surely the priority message. And that much is surely the same. 20 centuries later, it's surely still true that if Jesus rose from the dead, then that is the most important thing. Nothing could be more important, nothing at all. The crazy thing is that we don't realize that. We relegate it to secondary importance at best. We, we fail to accept the fact that if Jesus rose, then he is Lord. He's, he has the final authority. He really is the, the resurrection and the life. He is the one who will judge all things. He's the one who has power over heaven and hell, Jesus does. Jesus really does, if he rose. If he didn't rise, then frankly, he is irrelevant. He's a, perhaps an interesting historical figure, but, but in the end, who cares? Who cares about much at all? If Jesus didn't rise, then really the whole Christianity thing is, is a bit of a red herring. It's, it's a distraction and we should just move on. We, what are we even doing on this call? What are we doing? Why, are we, why do we even have this book? What, 
What do we have church for? What the whole thing is a is a waste of time, and we need to decide that. If he rose, he is Lord, and as such, he deserves my utter devotion. If he didn't rise, then the whole thing is a crock. The whole thing is a fraud, and we should have nothing to do with it. We can't seem to make that decision. Many of us we like to live in our kind of, you know, Western world with this sort of apparently sophisticated relationship with with Christianity, where we we recognise its importance, but we we don't let it become Lord. We think Jesus is important, and we have opinions. We 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 see Christianity as an opportunity to share our opinions. You know, I have an opinion, and you have your opinion. It's fascinating. Let's talk about it. If if Jesus is 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 just a, another guy, then fair enough. Let's share our opinions, because th that's what you do when there's no winner, right? When when there's a winner, when when the umpire says game set and match, and the, the the tennis match is done, and the winner is proclaimed, really it doesn't it doesn't really matter what your opinion is, right? Up until that point, you can still lay bets. Yeah, there are some bookmakers that will actually let you bet on, on the winner right up till the closing points of the game. And you could discuss it and you can say, yeah, I think his serves better. Yeah, I think the, I think the way he's returning is, I think the volley here is, I think there's all kinds of you know, fascinating uh, ideas and subjective kind of places we can go discussing. And, and, and it's, it's, it's all fine until someone's won. When it's won, really your opinion about who's gonna win is, oh, it's all over. Game, set and match, there's a winner. With Jesus, it's just this way. But what I find is that so much Jesus talk, so much religion and Christianity talk is just the exchange of opinions, subjective opinion, or my opinion, very often built around our preferences. You know, I don't really like that aspect of Christianity. I don't, I, you know, I, I read the Bible, I don't, I don't like this bit, and I like this bit, and I, I really especially appreciate this bit. No, no, we have to get rid of this bit. Because my, well, I, I have my preferences, I have my opinions. Enough, if Jesus rose, enough. He's Lord, right? So I have to come to this differently. I have to start saying, okay, so this starts to be taken very seriously. If you rose, if you're who you say you are and you proclaim that this book is without, uh, without any kind of flaw, if you say that this book cannot be broken, I have to come to you res with responsive faith and trust and, and humility and a servant heart because I've recognized that you are Lord. Is that what you've done? How many of the bewilderments of life, how many of the, the dilemmas and the constant uh, indecisive uh, lengthy struggles of our life would be settled at once if we took to heart the implications of Christ risen, the implications of an empty tomb? If we just recognised he's the Lord, he's the Lord. So let's not, let's stop debating. Let's stop coming with all, all our subjectivity let's just remember he's the lord his word is final and we build our lives and we arrange our lives around that we start there if jesus is not the lord honestly who cares who cares what this book says who cares what anyone says about anything but if he is the lord let that come first and work everything else out your 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 decisions your future your career your relationships your sexual uh, uh, behavior, your, your financial situation, your, your family prospects, all of that gets arranged around this. Is Jesus Lord or not?
If he's raised, well, I tell you, surely he is Lord. So that's the first thing we see. The second thing, let me just draw you on to, if he's raised, he is wise. He's wise. You see, Paul uses the word vain in this chapter quite often. He talks about vanity. He talks about if Christ isn't raised, then, then, then we speak in vain. We preach in vain. He says that in verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The word vain is, is a less used word today. In the Bible, it's, it's a Hebrew word, hebel. And it's really, it's kind of the, 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 the way that things don't last. They are without substance and they mean very little. They, they, they disappear like the, the, the vapour. It's really the same word, vapor, like mist, like steam. It just is gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's nothing. It's just, it's, it's a, there's no substance. And Paul is saying, if Christ is not raised, then your life is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Our message is in vain. And it means that all of our serving of him, all of our ministry, all of our, all of our obedience to him is, a, is foolishness. It's not good, it's not, it's not wise, it's foolish. And he is foolish. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then really he is a fool. He's one of history's great fools. He is a total loser. However we might dress it up and get poetic about it, surely the sheer reality is that those who mocked him at the cross, and they were many, were right. He was a loser, a total loser. He tried to start some great heroic spiritual revolution. He's like just like a failed cult hero. He failed. He died in shame. And that's it. That's the end of the story. He is a fool. And anyone who tries to follow him is equally a fool. And that, friends, is how it will feel very often. Following Jesus will mean following him into the dark, following him into places where it seems difficult to know what's going on. Following him will mean following him to Calvary sometimes, following him through the cross, following him through times where it's like, what is going on? Why is it so hard? Why are you not answering my prayers at the moment? Why, why is life so twisted and difficult at the moment? It doesn't, there, needs, there seems to be no evidence that you're the Lord. There seems to be no evidence that you're in charge, that, you're, that you've won, that you're the victor. All the evidence seems to go the other way. It's just darkness and pain and sorrow. I remember when my, my oldest son and I watched the, 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 the movie they made a few years ago, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. You may have seen the film, may have read the book. You should all read the book. Uh, uh, the film's okay, the book is extraordinary. But there was a bit in the film where, uh, there was a famous bit where Aslan, uh, plot, spoiler, Aslan gets killed. The lion, the Christ figure, is put on the stone table and killed. And it's a dark moment in the movie and it's tragic. And it's, it's... Now, my son knew nothing about what's going to happen next. He didn't know the story at all. He did not know what comes next. And he just turns to me. He's young enough to just speak from the heart. He said, this is a stupid film. I just love that. This, that's what a kid would say. This is a stupid film. What does stupid mean? Foolish. It's a foolish film. It's a foolish story. It's a story of a fool. It's a story of a fool. It's, it's, a, it's a story for fools. It's, it's, there's no meaning, there's no hope. It's, it's, all, it's, it's a total waste. All of your obedience, all of your giving and generosity, all your love for people, your prayer is a waste, unless he rose. <laughs> if he rose, well, he's no fool, he's wise. And our obedience is wisdom indeed. <laughs> we're not wasting anything, we're not, we're not being fools, we're being wise in our obedience.
if he rose. Thirdly, if he rose, he's ours. He's ours. I'll make this quick. Very often as you go through the Apostles' Creed, you'll notice the way that it's, it's, it's set out slightly differently to the way that we modern Westerners would tend to think. We tend to think of ourselves so individualistically. We tend to see ourselves as pebbles on a beach, you know, individuals uh, uniquely distinguished. The Bible doesn't think like that. The Bible sets out the idea of humanity as more like leaves on a tree. Yeah, individuals, but deeply and utterly bound and connected to one another bound to our family, bound to our wider family, our, our humanity together, one humanity, totally joined. Except the problem is that we're joined by that humanity to a twisted and broken and fallen legacy because humanity from the start in Adam, the first man, has welcomed death into the family, welcomed death into the, there's an inherent horrible inherited sickness that strangles life out of the human family and it's been there from the beginning that's our heritage that's what we inherit by being part of adam's family tree and it really is it's interesting you even use the words family tree it's like it's that organic the human story according to the bible is that it's like a vine and some branches and and there's a vine Adam and we're all connected to him but the fruit that comes out of this vine is deathly and sour and rotten that's our story because of our broken human story that's the pride and the lust and the greed and the hatred and the prejudice and the, the all the ugly things that are generated out of within the heart they come not from the economic circumstances primarily or from bad governments or even from diseases all these things play a part but the deep problem is in the heart and we inherit it from our human condition. What's needed is not self-correction. It, it won't work. What's needed is new, a new vine. What's needed is a new tree. A new organic uh, reality on the earth. <laughs> new life. And that's what Jesus has come to create. And we are joined not with Adam now, but with Christ, if we put our trust. If you believe in Jesus, it's not just that you, you get to be forgiven, you get to be, okay, well, we'll put up with you. You're a, you're a monstrous mess. You're still connected with the wrong tree, but we'll, we'll pretend you're not. We'll, we'll wash over that. No, you're taken out of that tree and grafted into a new one. You're placed in the new humanity. And this is hinted at. It's interesting, Paul says, Jesus rose on the third day according to the scriptures. And there's not enough time to, to, to say what this is about, but it's a fascinating thing that it's like, where in the Bible, where in the scriptures does it say that he would rise on the third day? Where in the Old Testament prophecies does it talk about Jesus rising on the third, the Messiah will rise on the third day? Well, in so many words, it doesn't quite say that, but it does hint it in lots of ways. For example, first page of the Bible, the third day is the day of new vegetation, new fruit, first fruits. First vegetables, which is actually, Paul even refers to the resurrection as the first fruit later in this chapter. And each re re uh, multiplying out of its kind, reproducing out of its own kind. The third day of creation, Genesis chapter 1. And in a true to form, Jesus is raised on the third day, reproducing after his kind. Adam reproduced after his kind. Sin, shame, guilt, death. Jesus on Easter Sunday rose 
and, and reproduces after his kind. Life, forgiveness, hope, love, freedom. If it's happened to Jesus, it's happened to me and you and any who belong to Jesus because he's a new Adam. He's starting a new humanity and we've been grafted into, fixed into a new tree. This changes everything for us because not only has he died and been buried and raised, but so have we in him. Imagine a needle going through uh, a, 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 some embroidery with a thread uh, in, in connected to it. We're the thread, he's the needle. He's pushed through death and resurrection into life. And we are as sure as anything gonna follow. We, it hasn't happened to us yet, not fully. It's happened inwardly, but it will happen completely. Uh, as, as we are ultimately raised just as he was raised. And this means fourth and final thing, we are free. First of all, uh, Jesus is Lord if he's raised. Jesus is wise if he's raised. Jesus is ours if he's raised. And finally, we are free if he's raised. And it's, it's really, this fourth point, a simple expansion of the third point. If he's ours and we're his, if we're joined with him, then it means that we're free in this life. Even as we wait for our resurrection bodies, and some of us are longing for our resurrection bodies, as I get older, I find myself looking forward a bit more than I used to when I was young. But what we have within is already resurrection life, and there's freedom available. We're not slaves to sin anymore, but slaves to righteousness, because who I am most inwardly is new creation. I'm raised with him. And that means that it's not just that I've become a Christian, so I have to stop doing the bad things I used to really enjoy. It's I've become a Christian. I belong to a new master. I have a new life within me. I have a new heart. I have a new desire. I'm changed inwardly. And so I do new things, not because I'm oppressed and, and pressured into it, but because it's my great privilege and my great delight. I've been changed inwardly. What was me has been crucified and buried. What is me is raised with Christ. That's who I fully am. Most, most sure at the heart of who I am is a new creation. The body will follow, but right now in my heart, in my soul, in my inmost being, I'm his, I'm free because of his resurrection. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonder of what your son has done. Help us to live more fully in the good of it by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Great to be with you. Thanks for the time in the scriptures today. God bless you guys.